the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days. Welcome to the Gory Days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. My guest today is an award-winning screenwriter and producer based here in L.A. Her short films have garnered multiple screenwriting awards, including Best Script in the Bloodshot's 48-hour horror competition and Best Death for her short Jack. She's produced web series, authored ebooks, and now she's gracing this podcast with her presence. Please welcome to the Gory Days, Marilyn Thomas. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming to the Gory Days. So uh, this isn't the first podcast you've been on, but this is the first time on the Gory Days. Yes. Uh, what was that other podcast you were on again? Uh, it was The Horrible Happenings, the JK. Horrible happenings. So if you look him up, he helped us uh, promote a short film we did last year. So. All right, shout out Horrible Happenings. Maybe we can get some cross-pollination going. Um, so this isn't the first time we met. We met at a coffee shop at... Uh, was it Beverly Hills or West Hollywood? Yes. It was Verve. Yeah, Verve Coffee Roasters. Um, and we met through uh, another guest of mine that was on the show. She did, uh, uh, she was on last week and she did Candyman Paris. Yes. Uh, how did you know, how do you know Paris. We've actually tried to figure out how we know each other, but I think it's like through, even though she's an Aussie, it was through a Canadians in LA networking group. Mm. And I think we were in touch for a year virtually. And then at some point we're like, you know, we really need to just sit down and meet. And now we're like BFFs. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Well, enough about Paris. Let's hear more about you. Uh, you sent me some amazing things that you made, but those have to be just the best samples. You've been here. You've been working your tail off. Uh, mind my French. But yeah, you've been... You're not... Uh, a lot of the people that I interview on here are, you know, like up-and-comers in the industry, and you've been an up-and-comer. Tell me about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody's an up-and-comer until they do something big. So sure. I've been an up and comer for about 15 years now. And yeah, I love making short films. Yeah. So uh, w with everything that I've looked at, even with the ebook, it seems like that you have uh, your style wrapped up in a marriage between comedy, horror and action. Where does that come from? Where What, what, what is your background movie wise? You know, it's really funny. I don't think it really was um, at the forefront of my mind of what kind of films I liked until I started directing as well. And I love horror comedies. Like, I love Sam Raimi. Yeah. And, like, that I realized in terms of directing, that's where I get a lot of my influence from. Sure. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, I grew up in, you know, the 80s, and I... Just, I don't even know where I started loving horror, but at some point, I remember being a kid, I grew up on a farm, and I would sit there and tell myself ghost stories or, like, creature in the woods stories, because we had, like, 88 acres, and my parents would go a mile down the road to the neighbors and leave us at home. Um, I'm not sure if I should say that, but it's, you know, it's fine. We all turned out okay at Totally fine. Point. I was going to ask. Go ahead and speak right okay. into that gold thing right there. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, do you want me to move it a little bit closer to you so that you can sit back no. and relax? Okay, no, totally I'll fine. No, I'll sit up. I should sit up. Um, no, no problem. Uh, so, uh, like, uh, horror comedies that come to mind, yeah, Evil Dead, uh, basically everything that Sam Raimi did. Um, and most recently, I feel like, oh, not most recently, but have you seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Yes, I of love course. that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler Levine, he's a Canadian. Oh, is he really? Yep. Is Alan Tudy a Canadian too? Is that whole movie a Canadian? Uh, I don't think Alan is. I okay. think Tyler's the only one. Okay. But he lives and he's down the here heavier now. one, right? Yeah. Okay. The the larger brother. <laughs> is that not appropriate? I don't, know. I don't know if I want to say that. Okay. No worries. I'm trying to be politically correct, but that's fine. Um. So, uh, you grew up on a farm, you said, in Canada? Yes. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are farms all over the place, but what kind of farm was it? Animals or corn or? Uh, animals. Okay. We. I grew up. Um. All my parents, my mom, my dad, and my stepdad slash dad mm -hmm. um all three of them worked at a racetrack and so i grew up at a racetrack we had horses growing up and then at that point we had um chickens we had dogs we had a lot of dogs in our lives a racetrack like regulation pi uh pinewood derby uh, yeah. kentucky derby like yeah like, well we yeah like, like you trained them 
I didn't. I was like, oh, right, right, right. You know, but your family three apples high at that time. Um, my parents were like groomers who work with the trainers. Um, wow. They walk the horses. They make sure like you learn how to do leg wraps and things like that. So, so. the child of equestrians managed to get out of the family <laughs> business and go into entertainment. What did? What was that like? Did your parents react like, no, your place is here on the farm? Um, no, not at all. I mean, my parents have gone through like multiple jobs as well. And okay. my dad, uh, my stepdad slash dad, mm-hmm. um, it gets confusing sometimes because I refer to both my dads as dad. Um, that's really nice. I'm sure your stepdad <laughs> well, they, appreciates it. They, they were, they were both, they're both my dads. Um, but my stepdad, like he worked, um, in, oh, what's the term? Like he would go out in the bush and like pull out ore samples and things like that. Oh. So like my parents had a Like whole... a miner? Like a prospector? I mean, he did mining at one point, but you, you know, and my mom is more into holistic healing now, like especially um, my stepdad did pass away uh, mm. a number of years ago. And through that, my mom went more into holistic healing. She does massage therapy. Oh, okay. So and I was... And they're still based in Canada? Uh... Um, my mother is in Manitoba where I grew up and my father is in BC and my brother actually works in Vancouver as a set designer. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. is he older or younger? Older, but I got into film first. Ooh. He followed me. Oh, what was he doing? <laughs> what was he sitting on waiting for you to inspire him? I mean, he went and got a mechanical engineering degree and like got all these other book smarts. So yeah. Okay. So uh, I assume that you were in Canada when you started writing and started, uh, I guess, like committing yourself to this path. Yeah, I actually, um, I mean, I, when I got out of high school, I knew I liked writing. English was the only thing I was really good at. Were you writing in high school? I was, but I didn't really think about it until after I graduated and I I took a novel writing course, like one of those... I wish you know, I had that. That's continuing fun. education. But the woman worked for, um, she did romance novels. So she's like, here's the formula and you can write anything. And I was like, this is horrible. And this is not what I want to do. This was to college students or high schoolers? It was um, like the continuing edit. So it's like all adults. And I was okay. the youngest. I was the youngest at 18 by at least 10, 20 years. Oh boy. Okay. Like everybody was much older. Um, and romance novels as your uh, I know. <laughs> rubric. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever write any? No. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing Definitely steamy. not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe someday. Yes. Um, I mean, if there's some blood in it, maybe I would write something like that. <laughs> no, I love your, uh, I love your love of horror and I want to get into it, but uh, I just want to trace your path here. So, oh, yeah. So, so you graduated from high school. Well, I don't, uh, how does it work in, in uh, Canada? Is university free? Like, do you? No. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't go to university. My brother and sister both okay. um, are much more academically minded than I am. So well, I... Well, creative. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do because, um, you know, I grew up in a small town. Everybody else was being uh, going into nursing, going into teaching. And that was something that, like, I knew I was never going to do. And I didn't really know. And so I just started working jobs. And um, at some point, my mother sent me to my father's place in BC because she's like, you're going out every night and this is not (laughs) okay. (laughs) Try again. (laughs) Here's a one-way ticket. Go. Um, And so I went to Vancouver. And then at some point, I went back to Manitoba. And then I realized, oh, wait, my mom was right. I don't know if my mom's going to listen to this, but you can. (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Shout out to mom. I'm sure she's not upset. She was right. You were a party animal. I know, but I don't admit that to my mom. (laughs) Oh, I see. Um, But my mom was right. And I, I, you know, I was going out all the time and I didn't have any focus. So I think at some point my uh, Vancouver Film School had opened and my father sent me this thing. And he said, I know you like to write. What about this? Oh, okay. And That's really supportive. Yeah. and But it was one of those things that you're like... Oh my God, being a screenwriter, like that's so far out into the universe that it would never happen for somebody who grew up in a small town and like um, all this other stuff. I know what you mean. It seems like something that's reserved for someone who's had a lot of experiences in LA or New York or something. Exactly. Somebody, yeah, who, who can, uh, who has the ability to research with like other people and get a lot of different experiences. When it seems like the opposite is happening now, people are responding mm-hmm. to the unique experiences. They don't want the same people that have been walking around New York and LA telling the same stories. So, so. Right. Yeah. So that is a bit of a benefit now. So, 
Um, yeah, and I think I, I didn't do it right away. I didn't go to Vancouver Film School right away, but Kevin Smith did. Apparently. Oh, um, was he like the first class to graduate? I think like, he was one of the first class because I cool. was class six, um, and that was a while ago. But um, yeah, at some point, uh, the weird way I ended up... Oops, sorry. No worries. <laughs> the weird way I ended up doing it was um, I was dating somebody who was working in corporate sales. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, my God, he actually makes good money. And Was he in entertainment, too? No, he was just in corporate sales. And I was like, that's good money. I should do this. Sure is, if you can do it. Yeah, if you can. And I was like, I'm sure I could figure it out. And I met with a headhunter, and he stopped halfway through the interview, put his pencil down, and he was like, okay, what do you really want to do? He saw right through you. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Did. And even then, I was like, wait, oh, my God, I'm blowing this. And I was like, no, I really want to do this. He goes, no, what would you want to do? I said, okay, in the ridiculous world, I would be a writer. And he was like, go and be a writer. And so then I pulled out, you know, the dusty pamphlets my dad had given me for Vancouver Film School. And I applied and got in. That's incredible. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I was going to ask, if it's just something that you can go to or if you had to submit work and then be accepted. Yeah, you do have to submit work. And I don't know what the process is now. Like the program has so completely changed since I went there. Like I was class six and we did it for four months. Okay. And now it's like intense. Yeah. And now it's a year long program. And, you know, they focus like we did one short film script, one TV pilot or TV spec and a feature film all in four months. And is that something that like you now have under your belt that you can like put on your reel or workshop and maybe pitch someday? Uh, Probably not those ones. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Yeah, they're pretty early. Those are very early. And especially when you're like, you're writing as you're learning, you're like, oh my God, you start reading those things now and you're like, what was I thinking? Yeah. No, going to a film school, I've never been to a film school and uh, I don't know if I will, but uh, it seems like a great way not just to learn, you know, formal education, but also to build those relationships. I imagine you probably made a lot of friends in the Vancouver, maybe not, I don't know, (laughs) that you could connect with and Um, collaborate. I mean, at this point, there's only one person from my class that I keep in touch with, um, Terry Tatchell, who's most known for District 9 and Chappie she co-wrote with her husband Neil oh wow um and you did mention that off mic <laughs> I do remember but yeah I like to pretend wow like it's yeah. the first time I'm hearing from my listeners <laughs> oh good uh yeah so Terry and I still keep in touch and she's actually uh writing children's books okay um oh is that the the author of uh or, or the one that is related to your ebook no. Oh, okay. Totally yeah, unrelated. Totally unrelated. Um, so yeah, I keep in touch with her. I keep in touch with a couple of my instructors. Um, and this is the one thing I did learn going to school. Um, your instructors are your first point of contact with the industry. And a lot mm. of people didn't really keep in touch. Like I keep in touch on Facebook like we all do. So there was one instructor in film school, Joy, and she... So one of my first jobs was on a really popular Canadian TV show called Da Vinci's Inquest, which I was a huge fan. Absolutely love the show. It's a show about a corner. And my instructor found out that I liked the show and I was going to go hand off a resume. And she was one of the people she's like, I know somebody on there. I'm going to send them an email. And she sent an email to Al DeFiori, who's worked on Grimm. And he did uh, the George Clooney movie, I think, Moneymaker. Really? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, and he's down here now. Um, but yeah, she emailed him and said, one of my students is coming over. She's lovely. Be nice to her. And he was uh, one of my first point of contacts in the industry. Wow, that's amazing. So you didn't come here totally green. You had not just like a friend to crash on the couch with. You had an actual person in the industry to be nice to you. That's I, awesome. I actually didn't know he was down here when I moved Oh, here. oh. <laughs> so for all you know, you were completely alone. I well, I moved down here with somebody, but we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I totally understand. Yeah. Yes. Time heals all wounds. <laughs> so uh, I guess pivoting a little bit. So now you're in LA. Uh, you're writing things. Um, uh, you sent me some uh, uh, videos, and I wanted to talk about them. But I guess I wanted to get the the chronolo- chronology right. Uh, you sent me Bloodbus, Jack, and your ebook Kalkili. Calcali. Calcali? Okay, yeah. cool. I was it's really, really close. Very close. <laughs> um, uh, so which of those came first? Um, so Jack came first. Okay. The, uh, there was the Bloodshots 48-hour competition that was done by this woman, Kirla, and I did it two years in a row, and I absolutely loved it. My first one was a Giallo-inspired, and then we did Jack. Okay. 
And Jack is still one of my favorite films, obviously, because of the ending. <laughs> well, with your permission, are we allowed to put the link in the description so that people can watch it if Absolutely. they want to? Okay, fantastic. So if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and pause and follow that link because it's amazing. Uh, it's a it's um it's essentially a deconstruction of jack o' lanterns that uh, well, maybe even literally they uh, it's a family and one of the couples is gay which I absolutely love incidental homosexuals I, uh, that's something else I want to talk about but just in general uh, you it it, it does. It, there are elements of uh, action in it when they're running around and stuff and it made me realize not all horror has that element of, of like there's the suspense obviously, but not all the time are people uh, given the agency to stand up to something. They're usually like slaughtered. And so like in uh, Jack and Bloodbust more specifically, you give these women these this agency to defend themselves and that's something that I want to, uh, that's the signal I want to boost is like I don't know if you're aware of it. You'll answer when I'm done saying this long-winded question, but uh, it seems like you have an agenda when you're writing to to push these more progressive uh, themes to the forefront. It's actually funny because I don't think of it as an agenda. That might I, even be the best answer. I'm not conscious of it. Like when we did Jack, it was just we, because it's a 48-hour competition, you get your team together ahead of time. And we just knew these were the actors that we had. And for me... There was stuff that didn't play out because it's fast. It's 48 hours. The actors read it once and then we're shooting. Yeah. Um, I had to keep like recontextualizing that because it's so good. And to to know that it was done in such a short amount of time. (laughs) We had such an amazing team. Like to this day, I'm still like, I need to go back to Vancouver and make a feature with my Jack team because they were so amazing. It would be pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so for people who don't know, literally the 48-hour competition is similar to the 24-hour competitions that you hear, except two days, which seems dangerous to me. 24-hour competition is like, okay, I've pulled an all-nighter, but two days of not sleeping, I imagine? Do you have to like uh, stagger your sleep schedules to make sure that someone's constantly doing something? No, we just don't sleep. So oh, the- okay. <laughs> So the way we do it, so the director is Krishan Randall, who I've done a couple of shorts with. Um, he and I were, we met almost as soon as we both graduated from different schools when we got in the industry. And he's the one who's introduced me to so many horror films outside of like the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of credit him with a lot of like my twistedness. And he's the person who will push me to the edge. Because the indie horror circuit is yeah. laden with... Uh, envelope pushing like every rule that you know in major motion pictures that oh demographics won't enjoy that they do it in spades in indie films and yours specifically uh if you haven't watched the video i'm sorry spoiler alert here we go they kill the baby yes they kill the baby and it's like a long like it's not like oh okay here's it's kind of like left up to your interpretation maybe they killed the baby maybe they didn't you put blood on that baby and there's a knife up to the baby whose baby is that were their parents okay with what you were doing (laughs) actually the house and i think um i'm just trying to remember if it was our gripper gaffer but he it was his baby (laughs) oh my god and as, as we were filming, and of course, uh, poor little Cindy was tired. And so she's crying and we're like, oh my God, we're just, we're going to have to make some money off this film so we can send, like pay for her therapy bills. But then... <laughs> Jiggling the pumpkins <laughs> next to this poor baby. But then her dad kept doing films with her as she got older. Short oh. films, short horror films. So she seems totally normal. Wow. Good so for her. So we take no responsibility at this point. That's funny. I never thought about that. Like when you're like, you know, in the movies, they'll typically have like two babies and they get credited or whatever. When they grow up, can you still find on their IMDb, oh, I was the baby in American Sniper or whatever? That's a bad example because that famously did not have a real baby. It was a little doll that Bradley (laughs) Cooper had to wiggle the arm as. (laughs) Still won the Academy Award, I think. Uh, So, yeah, that's amazing. And that was one of the films watched by Dan O'Bannon before he passed away, right? Yeah, he was the grand jury judge. So we do an awards night. Everybody gets an award. And then the top, I can't remember, but the top films basically went to Dan. And he got to watch them and pick the grand jury prize. And he picked ours. That's amazing. Um, which is amazing. Does that come with like a plaque or something that you still have? No. We no? just got a nice little email. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to ask Krishan. Maybe there's a certificate or something. Um, and I just don't know. But um, And we had some really tough competition. Like there's, you know, my peers that have gone on to do bigger films. Um, 
you know, we were up against them. So were you one of the younger teams? Like, is this kind of all ages all over the place? Are there mm, it, seasoned adults doing this? No, it's mo- it was mostly like my peer group, the okay. people that I started the in like in the industry with. So we were all so it's fair, you know, yeah. in our twenties. There isn't someone with thirty years of film no. experience doing this. Okay, no. that's really exciting. Um, and then the other one. So next comes Blood Bus. No, so next comes my ebooks, Calculate. Okay, fantastic. Uh, which I, I I loved it. Um, is it is it an app? Like, is it downloadable? Uh, or so right now, the team that I work with in Vancouver Rival Schools, they're um, relaunching the app. So okay. I don't know when it's coming back out. Okay, um, maybe it's out by now. Maybe we'll have a link somewhere <laughs> on the description. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but once again, that one uh, is a story of a cannibal, and you've. You once again, you found a way to to combine like horror and not like lightheartedness, but but yeah, you find the 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 what is it the levity and horror? Is that like what 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 was your experience film wise growing up? Were you more into horror films like as a kid, or were you watching comedies? I didn't watch a lot of comedies, and I don't know that I watched a lot of horror specific. Um, so I do have an older brother, so a lot of my influences I realize now come from him, which sure. is why I like graphic novels and things like that. And I grew up watching Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Okay, the classics. The classics. And I don't know at what point my horror love came in. And I do remember, um, you know, being younger, and I would stay over with my cousins. Um, I have two female cousins that are the same age as me mm-hmm. so we would have sleepovers and, and watch like, scary movies and, yes and one of my cousins would uh find a horror film and we would watch them and i just there was something even as a kid that i would get a kick out of being scared and are these canadian horror films or you're talking about the major motion like the because because i don't know i'm so americentric where it's like oh movies in hollywood come from hollywood and are shown all over the world movies in spain stay in spain movies in canada stay in canada yeah i don't think i got introduced to a lot of canadian films until i was older until i started in film school okay all right cool um and then finally uh blood bus right yes okay that's the last one uh, <laughs> process of elimination this one uh, i don't want to play favorites but it's probably my favorite because uh once again we'll have a link in the description is this one okay to show too it's on oh, youtube absolutely. right okay. yeah it's on youtube um the like selfie style that it starts in i realize like i haven't seen that and like as as much as it is effective in in your short she starts it with uh, the found footage but then it pivots when her battery dies to uh normal like uh third person pov or not pov so uh was that your decision in the writing right from the start or was that something yes. that happened from the director okay that's well a- i'm the director of that one you, were the, you write I and di- directed yes, that i wrote and directed and oh my produced gosh. that one that's amazing i didn't see the- oh my gosh oh my notes i didn't <laughs> So this was actually... So you wrote and directed it. Yeah, please tell me. So this was... uh, Bloodbust was actually my directorial debut. The amazing actress in it is Paula Lindbergh, who's one of my best friends in LA, a very talented uh, Canadian actress. And um, I just want to tell a little story about how Paula and I left, because I've probably told this story to death, but... um, (laughs) That's what the show's about. Yeah, Paula and I met at a at a party down here, and it's just like, you know, Canadians, we somehow find each other. And I had broken my foot when I first moved down here and the person that I was with wasn't in town and I was stuck at my house and I was like, I need groceries. Like I posted like the most pathetic posting on Facebook and I had just met Paula and she's like, I'll come take you. And I was like, this person who's practically a stranger is like, I'll come take you, whatever you need, let me know. So now she's like one of my best friends. So she's an amazing, amazing person. Cool. So Blood Bus was done as part of Women in Horror Month's uh, annual blood drive, which was started by the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia. And Paula knew them because she was in their film American Mary. I knew them just they were in my circle, um, my peer circle when we when I started in the industry. Okay. I actually Jack was up against one of their films. Small world. Yes. Very small <laughs> world. Um, so we just kind of knew each other and last was this last year oh god it seems so long ago already so last year they wanted to do release one short film every day for the month of february to promote donating blood any genre uh all horror oh oh, awesome okay so for it's women in horror month so is that october february february okay a scary month (laughs) (laughs) well it is valentine's day so it is 
Uh, so uh, was this uh, something that they reached out to you to do or was it something that you pitched? Um, well, they reached out to me to do the short film. But before that, um, they were also some of the first champions of me actually taking the step into directing. And we had had this conversation uh, when they were down in L.A. visiting. And I was like, you know, somebody said I should direct. And they're like, do it. And I'm like, well, I can't just do it. And they're like, you can just do it. You kind of can. It's it's kind of awesome. <laughs> you can't. Well, the thing is. If you have a phone. <laughs> yeah, it is. But um, as a writer, I was like, I hated being on set. And I love the collaboration. Like, I know a lot of writers are really finicky. I Like, I've worked with Krishan. I've worked with other um, directors in the writing process and so forth. And I love working with somebody else. So the, I think the scariest part was having no filter. Like, having nobody say, okay, this is not good. No or, soundboard. Exactly. Um, and also just directors can elevate your work as a writer. Um, like Krishan, what Jack ended up being was so much more than what I wrote in the 12 hours before we started filming. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really thought I was going to miss that process. But then when you're on set and you're like, oh my God, I wrote that and I'm seeing exactly what I pictured in that scene. It's kind of an amazing feeling. So uh, what is your process before you like put pen to paper or finger to key? Are you outlining or are you just walking around the world, musing the idea, turning it into something? Or do you just start, fade in, Ooh. interior? Uh, more the first two. I have so many like pieces of paper, like little notes on uh, documents on my computer that mm -hmm. are just like one or two lines of like, this would be a cool idea. Yeah. And now I've found some this week and I'm like, I don't even know what I was thinking about then. Uh, but I am a very big believer in outlining. Okay. Uh, with short films, not as much because they're usually not more than 10 minutes or 10 pages. There's no time for three act structure. No. Well, actually, I do think you should, you can still have three acts in a short film. Hmm. Um, now that I, I think about it, Jack definitely does. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I've judged a lot of short film competitions and a lot of short films are done just as a scene. Yes. And like sometimes those scenes are funny and they can work, but it almost feels like a sketch when it's, it's done that way. Exactly. So I'm a very big believer in like, you can still have three main beats when you do a short film, even if it's a five minute film. Okay. So do you write features? What are you working on these days? Anything coming down the pike? Ooh, well I don't talk too much about what I write, but I have done features. Um, it's always this weird thing with being a writer that if something's not produced, people think you haven't done anything. But yeah, it's like you might as well have not have done anything. Exactly. But I've paid my bills by writing features for the last five years. Well, so. there you go. <laughs> that Yeah, there's no other way to say I've made it than being paid and being able to live off of your craft. Yes. But until something's made, then you're still the emerging. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Which is and such a funny thing. It's a shame. I, I remember reading something a few years ago from James Marsden, who is one of my favorite actors of all time, but he doesn't want to star in his own major motion picture. He was in The Box, and I think it was that interview that he was like, I don't like being like the center. He, wants, he said, I would love to be an up-and-comer forever because then for people who are up-and-comers then make it, then they can fall. But if they're up-and-comers, yeah. then there's no like fear of like, oh, then they blew their load and now they're done. Yeah. That's that's a good mentality. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and he's so I, handsome. <laughs> he was so good in Westworld and he's going to oh, he's, yes. he he can only improve Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> but um yeah, so uh well, now as we pivot to our movie today, uh specifically the thing, a sci-fi horror, you can call it a sci-fi in the fact that it's an alien, but really yeah. it's a horror movie. Um, why the thing? What made you bring it to us, uh, to the gory days? Well, as you know, I had a hard time picking one movie. <laughs> yes, you had like, a long list. Every single time I was like, oh wait, this would make such a great film, uh, or this would be like such a great discussion, or I love this movie because of that. And I had such a hard time. But the thing is one of those quintessential like cult classics, um, that I absolutely loved growing up and I've probably watched it like, you know, 20 times at least. Yeah. So. And I love the simplicity, like even though there is creature effects and things like that, the idea behind it is so simplistic. Yeah. And it's going to make my job a lot easier when I give the synopsis. When we come back, we're going to be talking about all things The Thing with more Marilyn Thomas, more me, your host, Kyle, who I forgot to introduce. Coming up on The Gory Days. The Gory Days. 
Welcome back to the Gory Days. My guest today, Marilyn Thomas, has brought in The Thing from 1982's The Thing. If you haven't seen this movie, shame on you. It is a classic horror movie, and if you are truly a lover of horror, then this is a quintessential movie by none other than the horror master, John Carpenter. We've talked about a lot of horror masters on this show, but John Carpenter is a really specifically interesting one because he pioneered the slasher genre with his independent film. It always blows my mind when I remember Halloween was an indie film. Uh, introduced the uh, the slasher genre, developed it. With a budget of $3,000, Halloween grossed more than $65 million initially, making it one of the most successful independent films of all time, let alone horror, uh, which is impressive because horror generally doesn't... I mean, it, they perform well like pretty much year-round, but they don't make like... Avengers money. Uh, I don't know. Nothing maybe. makes Avengers no, money. No, nothing makes Avengers <laughs> Yeah, Avatar made Avengers money. Uh, That's true. James Cameron, everything he touches, that makes Avengers money. But, um... Uh, yeah, with horror movies, it can be a little bit different. And that's kind of why I like horror and specifically kind of this era is that um, it's so funny. You'll see like Kevin Bacon got his start in uh, Friday the 13th, Johnny Depp in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, because it's a chance for people to get their first break because they're probably going to die. They're nobodies. Uh, and it's like it's this most of the time, it's you're not getting sprayed with water, running half naked in your underwear through a forest or something, or getting covered with blood. But that's what people are willing to do because they're getting started, and horror movies give them that uh, uh, platform. That said, this movie is full of big names. We've got uh, Ke uh, Keith David as uh, one of the main roles. Kurt Russell, of course, is our main character. We've got uh, Wilford Brimley. Uh, this is the only movie I've ever seen Wilford Brimley in. I wouldn't have even known he was special if not for Family Guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, I'll, I like to go, like, chronologically. That's my whole thing. Um, so this movie is actually based on a short story and right, uh, written in 1938 by John W. Campbell Jr., a novella called Who Goes There? I wanted to uh, find it, but I, I forgot. Have you read it? Have you seen any of it? No, I haven't. And I only recently learned that it was based... On that book. And I know there's another movie that was yeah. used that as inspiration as well. That a lot of people uh, misinterpret The Thing, the movie that we're talking about today, as a remake of a 1951 film called The Thing from Another World that was based on the book but took a lot of uh, creative liberties and wasn't as, um, as stringent to the source material. Uh, so in the mid 1970s, when production began, uh, it was it started as a uh, faithful adaptation of the remake of the original 1951 film. It was the producers David Foster and Lawrence Terman who suggested the adaptation. But when they brought in writer Bill Lancaster, who I'm surprised Bill Lancaster has this long Wikipedia page I'd never heard of him, but he's the storied, uh, prolific screenplay uh, writer, screenwriter in Hollywood uh, in its heyday. So when Bill Lancaster met with the producers he was given the impression that they wanted to replicate the film because they wanted to and he was the one that was pushing uh, for uh, a more faithful adaptation to the book the original book so in 1976 when John Carpenter was first first approached uh, he was mainly an indie director, having directed Dark Star and Assault on Precinct Six, uh, Precinct Thirteen at the time. Uh, two independent films that I've never seen, but maybe I will sometime. They're a little out of our uh, date range, but who knows? After several more failed pitches by different writers and attempts to bring on other directors, the project was put on hold until Carpenter became loosely attached following his success with his influential slasher film. Halloween. The thing was his first big budget project for a major film studio. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if somebody found your short film, some indie film that you made, and approached you and said, we want you to make this massive film. We're going to give you $25 million to fly out to the, the <laughs> snow and make this movie. That would be so amazing. I mean, that's kind of the dream, right? So Is an angel investor coming? Yes. Is, is a god from Olympus coming yeah. down and touching us for one second? Yeah, that's that's the dream. Uh, 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 ironically enough, though, the movie, as 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 great as it is now, did not perform well at all, I was uh, amazed to find. And a lot of it people put 
uh, is because E.T. released uh, pretty much the same, uh, was it the same weekend? Uh, I think it was like the same week or something. Yeah, It was pretty close. Yeah, I think E.T. had come out the week before and then they were like, okay, well, people will cool on E.T. and then this one will come out. Was not the case. People were, uh, because of E.T., people were primed for a benevolent alien story. And so being faced with this decision of like benevolent alien or like super evil gross alien, I guess people chose super uh, benevolent alien. <laughs> but you know, if you look at E.T., there's some pretty like scary moments in that too. So. No, uh, the irony is that the scariest moments don't come from the aliens. It's the humans. Exactly. Yeah, which uh, another great movie. Um, not necessarily horror, so I don't know if no. we'll, we'll <laughs> get into that, but... This movie has a bunch of men. All these men. Only men. Not a single woman in this movie. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 characters in this movie. Which blows my mind because you're right. It is really linear. It is a very simple story. There's one, you know, there's one location, Antarctica or whatever. And really there's just the two bases, which uh, film-wise are the same base. I thought was really funny to look up is that the American base is the Norwegian base just through film magic and burning it up and filming from different angles. It looks like a totally different room. Uh, I remember being a kid and learning that, that like filming out of order chronologically and using the same sets. Like, okay, we have to order our shooting schedule so that when we blow this up, we can then film afterward in the same set, but it'll take place, you know, earlier in the film. I remember loving that, that idea of like, it, it it is kind of like being a magician, this misdirection of 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 uh, of light. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so the thing was released in 1982 to very negative reviews, starring Kurt Russell, Keith David, and Wilford Brimley. I think it's really funny that those are like the stars because they're the biggest names. I, I don't know what these other people were in. T. K. Carter, David Clennon, Richard Dysart. I'm sure maybe my listeners are responding, screaming at their iPods right now, but. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so without further ado, I'll quickly go through the synopsis and then we can talk about what we thought about it and, uh, some of those themes. The movie starts with a flying saucer. I totally forgot. It's like, if there was any question about what the alien is, we get it in the first shot. A uh, flying saucer is careening through space, goes into our atmosphere. And then that awesome title sequence of the thing burning through, uh, over the stars or whatever. And then, yeah, the story's pretty simple. We've got these, uh, did I say 12? I should write that number down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I'm going to write that down. We've got our production cat in the office here. Hello, Toby. So it starts with a flying saucer. The story is these 12 people are scientists working on some kind of, I don't know, like, expedition. what are they doing there? Oh, my God. I actually don't know. I have no idea they're what like, they're doing. Yeah, there's some expedition Antarctica. You, you don't, it's like kind of unclear who's in charge even. Because like from the beginning, they act like what's his name? Gary with the gun is in charge. But McCready is like calling the shots all the time. And we learn he's just a helicopter pilot. Yeah. So <laughs> the team is McCready, played by Kurt Russell. He's the helicopter pilot. Blair, uh, one of the doctors. There's two doctors. Dr. Blair, played by uh, Wilford Brimley. And Dr. Copper. Then there's Childs, played by Keith David, but he has a really, he doesn't have that much to do in the movie, in the first act, really, and I thought it was funny, because I remember him so vividly, because he's at the end, obviously. Uh, then we've got Dr., uh, then we've got Norris, Bennings, Clark, Gary, Fuchs, and Windows. They are all these people at this uh, base in Antarctica, and um, a Norwegian helicopter is flying, shooting at a dog, and they don't understand what's going on. They're shooting at this dog, and they're shouting in Norwegian. Is that the language? Norwegian? Yeah. Danish? Dutch? I'm not sure. Not Dutch. <laughs> no. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the Dutch. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're shooting at the dog. They kill the uh, uh, Norwegians, and the Norwegians also blow themselves up with a grenade. It's, it's awesome how uh, haggard they are. Um, but that's when they take in this dog. The dog is the thing. I love that they don't wait very long at all. Uh, when McCready and uh, Dr. Copper go off to see what the Norwegian camp was, because they assume there's more people there that need help, uh, the dog goes into the, the kennel uh, and and things out. And that's when uh, Dr. Copper and uh, uh, McCready find the the old base where there was like the the charred nasty uh, half 
human thing that they made. And that's like, that's the first like uh, monster character creature thing that we see. And it is so cool. It still holds up the test of time, you know, or uh, yeah. Um, just like that constantly like moist and wet and drippy and the stretch face. And um, it's something I wanted to bring up is that have you seen the, the sequel prequel, the one that came out in 2011, the thing? I did. Yeah. yeah, it's not great, but it is fun in that it kind of, it, it makes this movie better by watching that one and seeing like oh like how this happened and everything because the in 2011 they made a prequel to the thing called the thing uh, that took place in the Norwegian camp that we see leading up to the events of this film. So long story short, the thing is alive. It's this nasty bit, and its rules are that it needs to be in close proximity with another organism to copy it. And it it's, it's kind of confusing because it can copy things, but it also absorbs people. Yeah, like it kind of like takes over a person. Yeah, so it's like you and I could be here standing, and if we get infected, we we are just like this mass because like they'll open up and there'll be teeth or it'll like, like rip out here and there'll be these tentacles or something. The most impressive one is the one where, um, uh, uh, I want to make sure when Norris, uh, chest opens up and oh. bites off Dr. Connor's arms. Oh the my defibrillator gosh. Scene. Yeah. The defibrillator yeah. scene. That one is so that's, that's probably like one of the biggest scares. Yeah. Uh, cause it's so cool. Um, some controversy, unfortunately, though, they had a, uh, double, uh, a disabled gentleman play the, uh, person with the, who got his arms cut off for that little bit and, uh, apparently just, like, wasn't received well among the disabled community for that reason. It happens a lot. Um, I've been talking with, uh, some people who identify disabled, uh, and... Once again, it comes down to the individual. You know, sometimes it's just nice to see representation, but other people feel like they're being exploited. So, uh, you can't please everyone all of the time. Uh, they all start dying one by one. Uh, the first one to go is Bennings. Then we lose Fuchs. Then we lose... I numbered them all. Where's three? Uh, uh, we lose them all. <laughs> anyway, I want to skip to the part where... Uh, let's see. We've got the last four. One, two, three, four. We've got McCready, Nalls, Childs, and Gary are the only ones alive. And as far as they know, none of them are the thing. They have found that Blair, when he was going nuts, if you haven't seen the film, I'm not going to go beat by beat and remember the film for you. We're just going to talk about it. Ben, uh, when Blair's going nuts, uh, they they find that he escaped somehow into like a cellar. They have, There's this huge sub-basement where the generator is they're talking about. Um, the generator's gone. It's just completely gone. It's a great moment where Gary's like, uh, uh, the generator's gone. And he's like, oh, well, let's fix it. And he's like, no, it's gone, McCready. Um, and... Uh, so Blair's down there. He things Gary. Then he things Nalls. Uh, Child is nowhere to be found, but McCready gets one last uh, thermal charge or dynamite or whatever. They've been planting things all over the place for a big boom to kill the, the Blair thing, the giant money shot that they show us. And then the final scene, uh, McCready, Kurt Russell is sitting in the snow and Childs comes out of nowhere and says, did we get it? And McCready says, where were you, Childs? And we're left there as they drink some scotch and wait to freeze to death to wonder which one of them, if either of them, is the thing. And that's the end of the movie. And I can understand why people were upset at that at the time when movies like E.T. have this great, you know, like, and everything worked out and now right. you know and there's no questions. Uh, so I guess my first question is, who do you think it is? What do you think happens after the, the, the movie ends? Oh, man, I... Don't know if I've really thought about what comes next. I, um, a... I love like those open ending. Anything can happen. Like, did they freeze to death? Because it wouldn't take very long for them. I think I said Antarctica before. I think they're in the Arctic. Oh, okay. I don't know. No worries. No, I it's don't not really. I don't think there's like a title card that says <laughs> somewhere in Antarctica no. or something like that. But it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> That's all we know. It's cold. Damn yeah. cold. Um. So yeah, but, they, I mean, they would freeze so quickly and they've kind of burnt up every supply that they have. So it's like, do they have anything maybe it'd be, other than the whiskey? Well, maybe it'd be easier to, to, to look at this if we take a step back. So the thing is a creature that is intelligent enough to have a saucer, a flying saucer. So it's, it's something that I, I tried to remind myself is like, 
the the thing acts like an animal, you know, but it it is really intelligent. It flew all the way here, maybe by itself, maybe it had others. Um, but let's break it down. So the thing is an alien that it, it it probably wasn't coming here on purpose to conquer us. It looks like it crashed. Do you think it was coming here on purpose? No, I think it was a yeah. crash. Okay, so yeah, crashed in Antarctica, uh, climbed out and froze to death, and then. So, like, it crashed, and then its goal is to make a spaceship again and fly away? Because that's what it starts getting Blair to do. It seems like its goal would be, like, okay, well, I'm on this planet. I might as well assimilate the whole thing. I kind of think it was a bit of both. Um, because when uh, when Doc or Blair, they it's kind of funny. They refer to him both as Doc and Blair, yeah. and you're like, wait. But Dr. Con- uh, yeah. yeah, is definitely more of a doctor, but yeah. Yeah, because um, I... Th- you know, he's on the computer and it's like the cell simulation. I love like, that. It's going to take, what the was little, it like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's going to take like 20,000 uh, hours or something. I don't know, 80s computers. Whole, yes. You can just computer. type in a question like that, like in Google, and it'll just calculate it and tell you. Like yes. the fly. Did Brundle absorb fly? It has to explain. No. <laughs> Fused. Yes. Um, but Ooh, that would have been another good one. <laughs> <laughs> what the would fly. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I haven't done that one yet. That is Ooh. another good one. Yeah, Brundle. Yeah. Uh, Brundle fly. Um, so, yeah, in my mind, like my headcanon is it's it, 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 it makes more sense if you like frame it as it's like in panic mode. Like it's like it just like crashed in a car wreck and is just trying to get away from the car wreck. Like expand that 50 years or whatever because it's frozen. But that's what it's experiencing is just this like panic. Like I got to get out of here. I got I got to I got to get back up into space. So, yeah, I don't think it has like they keep they keep acting like, oh, we got to keep it from getting to the mainland. We got to make sure we got to do whatever we can so that it dies here. We're not going to make it. But neither is that thing is one of his uh, McCready's lines. Um so that that's how I think of it is like okay well it's it's assimilating out of fear it's not doing it to take them all right. over it's doing it so that it can be safe um and I guess build another spaceship because that's what it gets Blair to do there's building that like tiny mini saucer which I don't yeah, think would have gotten I... <laughs> anywhere it definitely wouldn't have fit um wasn't but... it like taking parts from the bombardier or something I think yeah. so it's like yes and the helicopters, yeah, I think, because that was it. And, and like, the, the giant, like, shovel truck thing that they have. Yeah, yeah. I think it was taking parts from all of those. Um, but, uh, so, they say that the saucer, the ice around the saucer is at least 10,000 years old. Like, they can carbon date the ice somehow, and they know it's 10,000 years old. So, 10,000 years ago, this thing crashed, froze, 9... 1980 years or something pass and the Norwegians dig it up and then uh, it turns into a dog and gets to this uh, place kills everyone there and that's where we end up with Childs and uh, McCready so if one of them is the thing it's not attacking and killing the other one because it's intelligent enough to know that it's pointless it's just a waste of energy and then I'll die if both of them are the thing that 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 doesn't that doesn't work. That's the one that doesn't work. They can't both be the thing because it would know, right? Right, it would know. And I, I mean, I feel like the more likely, just because we see McCready for the whole thing. Yeah. That well, I feel like there there's there's some interesting like uh, <laughs> a theory I heard when so there's there there is a sequence where we don't see McCready. McCready is the main character, and we're pretty much with him the whole time, except for when Nulls cuts him loose. Uh, when Nulls and uh, McCready are walking, I don't remember where they're going, but Nulls says he found a jacket with lots of rips in it and says, I cut him loose. And that's when McCready has to break in and hold them all hostage with a flamethrower and dynamite. So I've heard theories that he's the thing at that point. I don't think that holds up, though. I think it's so... It would be too obvious. Because why would he be killing himself? Why would he be so gung-ho on killing the thing if he was the thing? Well, and at that point, too, so they were going up to his office. I guess he has a separate office because the lights were on. And so when he comes back, they do the blood test. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. Um, um, Because the structure of the movie. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No. And yeah, they do the blood test. And then uh, I can't remember. Palmer. Uh, is the one that turns out to Palmer be the thing is the there. one, yeah. yeah. 
and then, um, it, and then it turns windows. into the yeah, yeah, and turns into the creature, and they're all like strapped to him. That scene is so great because uh, yeah, they set up that well, we could do a blood test. They set that up way earlier. Then they found that someone got to the blood and sliced it up, and it isn't like five or six plot beats later that they actually do the blood test. So I remember watching it. They mentioned the blood test. I was like, oh, this is my favorite part. You got 30 minutes still. Um, but yeah, the blood test is easily my favorite part. And I think yeah. it was the thing that James Carpenter like uh, was like, okay, yes, I will definitely do this because of the blood scene. Um, yeah, uh, I know it too well now that I don't get shocked when it happens. Um, but I remember, I can like, you know, go back in my head and remember seeing it for, you know, maybe the first or second time and how scary it is. Just the way, like suspense wise, the way it's set up, like there's no music. It's just everyone sitting there and the the little scratch and of the, the, the hot needle going down and they're going one by one by one and, and everyone's doubting like maybe this isn't even working and the audience starts to and it's like before the audience can even doubt their doubt, the thing rips up and, and everyone starts freaking out and Palmer starts shaking and it just turns into absolute chaos. It's yeah. so good. Um, that's probably one of my favorite scenes, like that one. And then my second favorite would probably be the the one with, uh, uh, yeah, Doctor Copper getting his uh, arms ripped off and the head becoming another spider. Oh yeah, like the weird shaped head that is like suddenly it's still attached, but it's like three feet of neck. Yeah, and then like spider legs poke out of its skull. The sound effects in this movie are so yeah. good. The like bone cracking and uh, like I. I don't know why, but I have always had a specific uh, affinity with body horror, like Society um, and uh, Videodrome, like David Cronenberg movies. I love just because, yeah, the the idea of like, like my my body is my body. It's my universe. And like, you know, things go into it when I need like a needle or something. And but otherwise, it's my body. And like the idea of my body suddenly using like my blood vessels are now part of that just because like we touched or something Ugh, gives me such chills uh yeah and i don't know i don't know if it has something to do with my like childhood or whatever but i think it's just anything like this is your your you know the body is a temple i know that's cliche, that's what no but you're but you get something infesting it and i i i have a thing with like like eyes or like ears like when there's movies with like bugs or worms or you have like worms crawling under the skin. That stuff still completely creeps me out. Yeah. Makes me feel like I need a shower. It's the little things. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I don't remember. There was something that said like, uh, you know, if someone gets their arm blown off in a movie, that's, that's one thing, but a paper cut in a movie, then everyone suddenly goes, Ooh. Yeah. Well, did you notice um, in the thing the way uh, they cut like the fingers, yeah. like a slice, and then who? Wait, who is this? Is it Windows? Windows like cut around his nail, it goes, like all the way. And it's so I just I sit there and I just cringe. Like slicing across your thumb is one thing, but slicing around your nail. Why does it have to be on my fingertips? There's so many other parts of my body. I need my fingertips. Like, and you draw like you have two doctors draw yeah. blood like a normal. You know, blood drying with a needle. I know. <laughs> but they're scared. Yeah, they're all right. scared. Um, and uh, they've got flamethrowers. Like, I don't know what they were here to study, but they came prepared <laughs> with thermite yes. charges and a whole kennel of dogs. Like, I don't know what they were out here to do. It's kind of crazy with the dogs because one of the rules with horror is you don't kill dogs because people don't like it. You, mm-hmm. can, you can kill humans. You can kill, like, you know, other creatures, but dogs... They're sacred. Man's, man's best friend. It's sacred. And in this movie, they kill like what? Like 10 dogs? Like, it's, it's like the first deaths right. too. Yeah. It's all the dogs and like horrible deaths. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I remember there's uh, the sequences. There's like six dogs in it. And the one in the middle starts shaking and vibrating. And the dogs start. They're terrified. One of them's trying to bite through the fence. It's like heartbreaking that like. Uh, and then the worst part is it starts getting sprayed. And that's a real dog. And I, f- I feel weird about that, watching that scene when they're spraying this poor, scared husky with, like, goo from off frame. And it's dissolving it. And it's still alive. And, yeah. and that's part of what makes um, uh, Clark, uh, like, dive after uh, Kurt Russell's gun is that he's he effectively puts that one dog out of its misery. It's not digested. And it's getting choked. And you can hear right. it howling. And the squib goes poof. 
and that that is yeah that's too much sometimes and that could be a lot is yeah dogs are supposed to be safe dogs and babies are supposed (laughs) to be safe Marilyn (laughs) (laughs) but that's what gets you noticed that's what got you that that's that's just it is like these these rules and conventions are are here because they 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 allow us to break them you know well, and I think that's I, horror to me. It's so funny because I have so many people who are like, oh, you're such a nice girl. Like, and you like horror. And it's such a weird thing for me to hear. And I think there's so many people in the horror community that are like empaths. And it's more about like understanding. Like, okay, some of us get a kick out of, you know, creepy stuff. Um, but there is something about like trying to understand that darkness yes. and that inhumanity. So for me, that exploration exploration completely makes sense like of course you want to understand like why dogs why is it that dogs give us that visceral reaction but you know you can kill a cow or anything else and it's people are like oh that's fine and that's kind of like the responsibility of art is to like as a creator instead of an observer you now have the tools to to elicit a reaction from people. And if that is your goal is to say like, well, this is the one thing that's not sacred and here it is. I think that's so brave. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if I may say so. Um, right. And I think, I mean, there's this big thing with horror. Like a lot of people feel like horror is a stepping stone in their career or, you know, I know when paranormal activity and Blair Witch and those movies came out, people were like, Oh, if we just make a really cheap horror film, then, you know, it'll go viral or it'll like explode and we'll make millions and we can do what we really want. And that mentality absolutely drives me nuts. And people think there's no value to horror. And you look at like George Romero is another um, favorite of mine. Like I'm a huge zombie fan. And like those all have social issues attached to them. Like horror has all these great themes and you know talks about like the darkness of humanity and people yeah, just like, look at get out yeah get out was amazing um and you know and get out i think the thing that was so smart with get out is that it not only addressed those themes if people don't recognize those themes then they can still enjoy the movie for mm-hmm. what it is yeah like I, that that movie just blows my mind. Oh. Jordan Peele is so incredibly smart. No, it's great. And it's one of the th- uh, movies I thought of when I was watching yours uh, in that like there are comedic elements in Get Out. That surprised me. I remember I was kind of late to the party for Get Out. So I remember people telling me, oh, my gosh, it's so scary. You got to see it. I was not expecting as much humor as there was. His friend, the the uh, right. uh, the, the, the air traffic guy um, or what is he? He's a security at uh, airport yeah. something like that yeah yeah um he's really funny like he gets a lot of uh of funny lines but they're all just tonally they're keeping that same brand that same horror thing um but you're right yeah people treating the entire genre as like well yeah you you, you started in horror but what are you really doing just yeah people who, yeah just people <laughs> who think it's it's just a way to get to what they really want and you were talking earlier about like how a lot of horror films Oh my God, my Canadianness just came out there. <laughs> um, I think I heard you say get out. So oh no. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, but you were talking earlier about how this movie has a lot of big names where a lot of horror films don't. And I think part of the reason horror films can get away with it uh, without having like huge names attached to it. Like people go to horror films just to see a good movie, just to have some good scares. Um, we don't necessarily need like, we're more forgiving, I guess. Mm-hmm. We don't need to see... It doesn't have to be Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, I think it's ironic, too, that uh, a lot of horror... Like, the genre of horror allows for more original stories than other things. And yet, we've had, like, 13 movie franchises of, like, Hellraiser and Friday the 13th. But it seems like now... You know, we're getting the reboots, like the new Child's Play that's coming out. But with A24, like, putting out Hereditary and... uh uh, oh, they didn't do Annihilation, but like Annihilation, I would definitely call a horror movie. It's a sci-fi right. horror. Like you're getting these standalone stories that that I love. They're not they're they're these ones that I'm talking about are not rehashes. They are original horror stories in like realms that I've never even thought of. And um, what was that one? Searching with John Cho, where it all takes place uh, right. in computer. Like yeah, uh, you're right. Like horror horror is the one that's not afraid to try those things because. If it doesn't work, it's a horror movie. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, we can still... And there's good and bad we, parts of yeah, that. Yeah, we can still enjoy that for what it is. Absolutely. So uh, 
Let's see. I'm trying to think. Have I ever been isolated for a long time without any, like, how am I going to get out of here? I think maybe a layover, a four-hour layover in an airport, but that's not nearly the same. I can't really empathize with this one. Like, I've never been in a, in a scenario where, where I can't trust those around me, but... I mean, I haven't... Well... <laughs> I mean, we work in an industry that um, has some shady people. So maybe there's that element. As a queer person of color, I'm still a man. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate that as a woman, like, responsibly, you should be afraid of every man around you. Just, like, just to keep... Just to keep yourself safe. That's just a mentality, especially in this city, that that you never know. And that you just, like, want to be nice, but... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm telling your story. I'd love for you no, to respond. No, it's totally... <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking in terms of, um, like, there are so many toxic people in this industry, but what you were bringing up, I mean, women have to look out for each other. We're constantly... Um, like, I found out a couple of people I've known in my circle are not good people, and I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, Time's up. Yeah. Um, uh, so our last segment that we like to do is we rate our movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best. Marilyn, what do you think of the thing? Wait, do people actually give a one thumb? Sometimes we've had a movie on here oh, that, no. yeah, 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 that was really bad. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah. I gave, um, Ghoulies one thumb. Have you seen Ghoulies? I mean, when I was a kid, yes. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. I gave Puppet Master two thumbs, but Ghoulies, I'm pretty sure, is the bottom of the barrel right now. So, uh, But this can be based on anything you want. You can compare it to other movies, or it can just be in a vacuum. It can be, you know, whatever your criteria is. What do you think of the movie? I mean, I absolutely love the thing. It's one of my favorite movies, so five thumbs. Oh, fantastic. Five right out of the gate. And then traditionally, we will award those five thumbs Ooh. to characters in the movie. So uh, you can give one to one, or you can split them up. Who are you going to give those thumbs to? Okay, weirdly. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I also grew up on like nice family movies. Um, and Wilford Bromley was in a lot of those. So I'm going to give Doc one thumb. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> um, you got four more. Four more. Oh, my God. <laughs> like just in general? Yeah, you can give them to anything. Okay. I mean. You can the, give them to the director. <laughs> well, obviously the director. Oh, the direct- fantastic. I, uh, John Carpenter. Amazing. Yes, Amazing. Um, the, f- the first dog that comes and he's so friendly and he just like licks the human and gets his trust and, and he's you know. a really good actor. Honestly, there's a he shot is. of him walking down the hallway. He sees a thing and then he goes past and he never looks at the camera. He's yeah. a professional. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's three. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> this is so hard to actually like think about very specific. Put name. you on the spot. Um, I mean, you know what? I'm going to get the location. Oh, okay. Um, fantastic. I, I think the location is great. Um, Multi-purpose. I mean, I grew up in Manitoba where it's pretty darn cold in the winter. Uh, it gets colder than Mars there. <laughs> I don't miss it. Very different from LA. Um, but I, yeah, I like the idea of isolation as a theme. Yeah. So um, the location, definitely. And let me see. I mean, you know what? I'm going to give it to the the... The guy in the helicopter at the beginning who like just somehow drops the grenade behind him for no reason. <laughs> it's and silly. And blows up the entire helicopter. It's a weird way to start the movie because it I'm, tonally looks silly. It does. And he's he doesn't trip or anything. He just kind of like whoops and it goes over his shoulder. It's like slapstick. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And then one of them runs. The other one goes to dig for it. And it's like, why, dude? I know. <laughs> But it's like, yes, I'm going to drop this grenade, blow up the entire helicopter, and then, like, start shooting at people who I'm trying to warn. Yeah. And if he really has been fighting the thing this whole time, he should know by now that bullets aren't going to do anything. Right. Like, he should have a flamethrower or something. Yeah. <laughs> Could you see the flamethrower from the helicopter that's just yeah. like, Psh, <laughs> uh, Okay, fantastic. Five thumbs. The Thing came out in 1982. I probably saw it around 1995 or 97, somewhere in that time. And I remember as a kid loving this movie. I don't, like, I wrote down in my notes that this is probably my, like, top five favorite horror movies. So, spoiler alert for how I'm going to uh, award or how I'm going to uh, rate this movie. But right from, like, the music, the doot, 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 doot. 
so good. And I still think of that as like, oh, that's the thing. That's this 80s thing. Um, to like the the the, the meandering high pitched uh, violins as they're walking through the the Norwegian spaceship and stuff is amazing. Kurt Russell is so good in this movie. The desperation in everyone's face when uh, they they don't know who to trust, and he's got the dynamite and he's got the like uh, snow in his beard and everything. Uh, Wilford Brimley going nuts on the like computer stuff and just like shouting nonsense and he's got his gun when they have to like finally subdue him with the table it all just feels so manic and so desperate and that's just a testament to good movie to good filmmaking and that's why i started this podcast so i'm going to give the thing five thumbs i love this movie i really do that said it's not my all it's not like in my all-time favorite films but as horror as far as horror films go it's pretty great it's it's not a perfect movie it's got some some things in there but i'm not rating this movie as a perf i'm not doing this podcast to find the perfect movie i'm just doing it because i love these ones uh, and I'm going to uh, award my thumbs. I'm going to give two to Dr. Copper because he's probably going to need them the most without his arms. Um, I'm going to give one to uh, Clark because he loved those dogs. He loved them more than anything. And they were taken from him. And he's the only dude that just dies. He wasn't the thing. He gets shot in the head. Kurt Russell shoots him. And he wasn't a thing. So I'm definitely going to give one to him. Uh, how many is that? That's one. I gave three? two to Dr. Kava. That's three. So I'll give another one to Windows uh, because he could not get that flamethrower to work and then gets his head bitten by the, the flytrap Palmer uh, thing. That was pretty great. And finally, I'm going to give the last thumb to the disembodied voice of John Carpenter's then wife, uh, Adrian Barbeau, as uh, the chess wizard voice at the very beginning when McCready is playing chess and it's like, checkmate checkmate and he pours the water uh, he pours his drink into the computer it's so funny because the first two lines are like knight to rook four like rook to uh queen four and then it's like checkmate checkmate it's so snotty i never noticed that but i do love when he pours the drink it's like yes i'm in isolation and i'm gonna ruin my computer (laughs) the one source of entertainment like they're watching vhs's of old game shows and stuff they literally have nothing but yeah that's fine i love chess but (laughs) she's cheating and she's mean all right so that's the movie the thing uh marilyn is there somewhere that people can find you if they are interested in uh seeing what you're up to or finding more of your work all my social media is at Monkey Marilyn. Fantastic. We'll be sure to add that in the description. Um, but otherwise, thanks for coming on to the show. Any final thoughts? Any shout outs? No. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. And everybody out there, thanks for listening to another episode of The Gory Days. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days.